0: Welcome to the Let's Grandma Career Let's-y-grandma Warrior, Warrior, Podcast. Warrior, Warrior Podcast. And welcome to the Let's Grandma Career Warrior Podcast, where our goal is not only to help you land your dream job, but to help you live your best life. Today's episode is all about conflict. Maybe this is something you struggle with, something that you're dealing with right now, or something that you try to avoid at all costs because this makes you anxious. I know it does for me. Well, in this episode, we're going to talk about how to deal with conflict the right way because it is a major part of the job search, your career, and if you're not encountering any of it, then you're not doing it right. So we're also going to cover promotability with an emphasis on mid-level professionals. What are some things we can do to increase our brand value, to get promoted, to move on up in our careers? Something I get very jazzed about talking about. Before we get into today's episode, I do have breaking news. The Career Warrior Podcast has just teamed up with LinkedIn in order to join the pilot of their new program, the LinkedIn Podcast Academy. What does this mean? It means that we're going to be making a commitment to you, to your listener, to engage with you and to improve the show. This means we're going to be increasing to weekly episodes now. So if you are subscribed, you're going to see a new episode every Monday morning. It also means you're going to see the logo LinkedIn presents on our show because they are going to be co-branded with us now. This means a lot because we cover LinkedIn in many of our episodes. So a special shout out to the LinkedIn Podcast Academy team. And for you listeners, we're going to be better engaging with you on LinkedIn and different platforms as well. Today, I brought on Tessa White, also known as the Job Doctor. Tessa White is a former Fortune 50 executive and a 25-year human capital expert for fast-growth companies and mergers and acquisition strategies. Tessa is now the go-to career expert published in Forbes, Wall Street Times, Good Morning America, and USA Today. Tessa was also recently named as one of 2022's top entrepreneurs to be inspired by in USA Today. She is known to more than one million TikTok and Instagram followers. Wow! As the Job Doctor, you can find her under both platforms under @jobdoctortessa, which I'll make sure to link within the description. Tessa's heard the cry for help and has created a much-needed guidebook with the unspoken truths of career success, which was published under HarperCollins. This was made in order to teach how to avoid career layoffs and traps and achieve greater wealth, speaking directly to the millennial and Gen Z audience who are competing for jobs at a rate not seen since World War II. Tessa, I'm so excited to have you on the Career Warrior Podcast. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: We are going to have a lot of fun during this conversation, but the thing I want to open up with is... Talk about this book that you wrote called The Unspoken Truths of Career Success. What was the pain point you were trying to solve when you wrote this book? And I'm sure it's going to resonate with many listeners today.
1: Well, interestingly enough, I had originally entitled it The Lies That Got You Here. And for me, was about the things, the untruths or the things that people believe about how the workforce works that aren't true and the things that do them a disservice because as the head of HR I get to see what's happening all the time behind closed doors all the conversations that are happening and I realized people are getting tripped up including myself on the same things and I felt like if I could uncover what those things are and how to work through them in a way that you can come out ahead that would be really useful to people it's I wrote basically the book that I wished I would have had as I was growing my own career
0: yes I love that and I've Thumb through the books, I've poured into pretty much every chapter and read excerpts from it. And I can't wait personally to dive into it and finish it front beginning to end. But what I'll do is I'll pull some excerpts that I know I had questions about. And I know listeners, future readers of your book will have questions about as well, because I think it's really exciting to actually have your voice in this podcast. And the topic that I wanted to pull out of the book and to bring to life was this topic of conflict. I'm personally excited because it's something that it's played a big part in my life. It's something that makes me nervous, yet at the same time, I know it's something that if I or other career warriors can learn to deal with in an effective way, then it can really move things along. So, one of the bullet points that your publicist emailed when they were suggesting show topic was this bullet that says the number one action that builds trust, disagreeing. And that really popped out at me. Uh, So I'd ask you, what makes disagreement the number one action that builds trust? And can you bring any fun stories here?
1: Well, isn't that interesting? It's so counterintuitive that disagreement would build trust. And yet what I found in the workforce is we avoid, well, it's not just the workforce, it's life. We avoid conflict and especially Gen Z and millennials avoid conflict. And they'll avoid it at all costs. Unfortunately, that doesn't serve you in the workforce. Think about who do you trust the most in the workforce? You trust the people that you think are being straight with you and honest with you. I trust people that tell me the truth. But we, we walk around all day long doing what I call halfway conversations where we're sharing just a fraction of the truth and somehow expect yeah. everybody's going to read each other's mind and we're going to be communicating and we're not. We go around not communicating all day long at work. So it's a really important skill set. And in fact, I talk a lot about communication throughout the book. It's woven throughout every chapter because the ability to have hard conversations, the inability will stall out your career. You'll just stop and you don't grow from there. And it's such an important gateway skill. And I think it needs to be addressed.
0: I love it. I'll ask like if you have any tips in a bit for somebody who might be shy or really, I don't know what the term is, like conflict avoidant, that personality, conflict averse, people who don't want to talk to a manager in in, in such a way. But to pull a phrase or pull an excerpt from your book, it says, Getting comfortable with conflict is an essential skill set if you expect to continue growing in your career. You can walk around trying to please everyone and never confronting difficult topics with your manager or coworkers, but you will not be able to make it to a director position if that is how you operate.
1: That's right. Because when you're a director, when you hit that role, your job is, a, I called you a builder, your job is to get buy in for resources and for your priorities. And getting buy in at that level is all about jockeying for who gets the top priority and who gets dropped and who gets the money. So inherent in the whole job of director is this idea of having hard conversations. So if you can't lobby for those things, You don't stay in your role. And I can think of many a director who I've had to let go, who just couldn't find their voice where they were very nice people. They were people that other people liked. But if you can't get the resources or the buy-in for what you're trying to do, you might as well leave now because it's so essential.
0: Absolutely. Can you give any specific examples or stories about a time in which there was conflict and then it, by embracing that conflict, it ended up yielding some good fruit to move your career or someone else's career forward. I'd love to hear that.
1: Oh, sure. I'll tell a self-deprecating, embarrassing story.
0: All the better. We love those here.
1: I have (laughs) lots of those, by the way. I did not have a perfect career. I love it. I had my team member come to me and tell me I was a micromanager. Now think about that for a minute. That's probably the most scary thing that you could ever say out loud to your manager and think you could get away Mm -hmm. with. That's pretty tough stuff. Sure. But it's the way that my colleague said it, that was so impactful. And this is where this whole idea started to come together for me. Here's what he said, instead of saying, you're a micromanager and we're all gonna quit, which is probably what he wanted to say. He came to me and said, you know, there's something going on that I don't think you understand or you may not be aware of. If it were me, I would want to know. Do you mind if I share some feedback with you? Sure. And so he proceeded to tell me, I know that when you're giving us assignments, One of your superpowers is your ability to kind of have a vision for what that looks like and the quality at which we would, you know, be able to get that across the finish line. But what's happening is you're giving the assignment and then you're changing things so often along the way that your people are starting to shut down their own creativity and you're not able to get the full potential of all of your people. And I think what's starting to happen is they're starting to just wait until you tell them exactly how you want it changed. And so you're never going to get anything better than what's in your head. Okay. And so is that what you intended? I was like, what, (laughs) what? So think about the way he said that it was honest, brutally honest, but in such a way that I could receive it. He assumed good intent. He assumed I wasn't trying to hurt people or do it on purpose. And that I think is the key between good communication and bad communication, because you're right. People either go too far one way and get really bitchy, or they go quiet and don't say yeah. anything at all. And it's that middle ground of assuming good intent that I think really can make the difference for people.
0: Yeah, I recently just completed the. I don't know if you've seen the masterclass series is being publicized all over YouTube and commercials and things like that. But the masterclass done by Chris Voss, who was a former oh, he's great FBI negotiator. He's amazing. But he talked about the concept of a straight shooter. He says, everybody loves a straight shooter, but it just depends on how this person delivers the message. So, so true. The straight shooter could give it to you in an honest, genuine way. But if they deliver it in a way that shows that they don't care about you or it just it comes across too harsh or something like that. I think the delivery of the message is something that really matters there. So
1: it matters a lot. I'm the person that in between, right. That gets to deal with the conflict between the manager and the employee. And you hear these conversations going back and forth. And if there's one theme, if you take apart or pick apart that conversation, people are assuming bad intent in each other. Mm -hmm. You're surprised when you actually look at the actual conversation, like, wow, the minute you can change that, you begin to, to have better conversations that you can actually walk away solving those problems and building trust.
0: Do you have any practical tips for let's call myself a recovering people pleaser? I've always been this way ever since I was young, but it's something that I've worked on, or I've, I believe I've worked on throughout the years. It's something I still struggle with. But for me, psychologically, it's hard for me to overcome that hurdle into delving into the conflict, especially if it's something that I haven't had in a while. I'll say there have been periods of my life where I'm like super gung ho. I never take things personally and I'm ready to just get it done and to delve into it without dealing with any of that personal stuff. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, there are sides where I'm like, gosh, I feel like I'm protecting my ego right now and I don't want to move into the conflict because I'm afraid it's going to destroy that ego or some sense of it. So do you, like I said, do you have any tips for those who want to get over that hurdle Mm -hmm. or jump into the deep end of the pool and start dealing with conflict?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people are like you, Chris. I think they want to do it and they have the intent to have the right conversation. They just do it the wrong way. That's why I dedicate so much of the book to this and give so many scripts. My advice to you would be the minute that you can remove intent out of the conversation, which is woven into all kinds of things when we talk to our manager, especially, it helps. So what I expected, what I observed, if you can just start there, what did I expect to happen? What actually happened? It takes the emotion out of it and it's a fact-based conversation and it begins to set the stage at least for you to have a really good conversation because there's no blame. All you're saying is, I expected that I would be working, you know, 40 hours a week, but we would occasionally have projects that would take us over time, but that would be the exception rather than the rule. Mm-hmm. But what's happening is for the last eight weeks, I've had to put in 50 hour weeks. Okay right? So you're just, you're identifying the gap. That's a really good start. And even if you botch up all the middle part of the conversation, if you end with a question that is again, not blaming and assumes good intent, that's, is that what you intended? Or do you see it differently? Or is there something missing that I don't understand? You're leaving the conversation open for that person to go, oh, I, of course I wouldn't intend for that to happen. I didn't realize you were working that hard or I didn't hey, this project is going to end really soon. Mm -hmm. But if all you do is say, I'm getting burned out and I can't take it anymore, that's not going to be very productive conversation.
0: It closes the loop there. And as as a podcaster and somebody who Mm -hmm. loves to have genuine conversations, I think what that person did, which was really powerful, is they opened it up by asking a question, like a really powerful question at that. Like, is that what you intended Mm -hmm. to make this a more productive conversation that isn't pointing the finger, like just complaining about something. So
1: and surprisingly, the hardest part of the conversation for most people is identifying the gap. They go, why am I upset? Like really? And and when you take the emotion out, why am I upset? There's an expectation that was missed always, but it Mm. takes a minute to kind of vet that out. And I tell people before you go ham on somebody, go sit (laughs) down and write down what did I expect? And then what did happen so that you can convey the differences -hmm. And it just becomes so much easier to have a conversation that way to start with that.
0: So we have to ask, since this was we're getting, you know, open and personal here, but what was the outcome ultimately of that conversation? Did it lead to that progress like we spoke about?
1: Honestly, it was one of two times in my career that I got really, really impactful feedback that was negative that changed me because somebody dared to say it. And the reason this one's so big for me is I still work, I still work on it. In fact, I am so sad for the employees that lived with me before I realized I was doing this. Mm. And I'm sure they're out there because I am so mindful of it now. And I try so very hard to change the way that I behave with people. And it's one reason I talk about that topic of micromanagers a lot. It's it's one of the top frustrations people express about their manager. And if they're like me, they didn't even know it. So for me, it was a changing moment, you know, a transition point for me. But I'll tell you, I cried a lot of nights when I realized that that's how my people were experiencing me. It's not what I intended, not at all. And yet I was lose. I was about to lose a good share of my staff as a result of it. I mean, that's pretty sobering stuff.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. That is not only incredibly insightful, but I mean, the humility it takes to not only recognize that, but share it with other people. And for your listeners, I. Really recommend the book. I'm a stories person, and there are plenty of stories that I've seen within this book. And I think for me, if I want to make a change or be influenced by something, I need to hear those stories. So thank you for sharing.
1: Yeah, that's one of the reasons, Chris, that I put so many case studies because I think people need to see how it plays out and want to see stories. And they'll notice in the book, we've got case studies all mm. over the place with real examples that I think will resonate.
0: Well, to grab another excerpt from that same chapter, it says, then there are three magic phrases. These questions do more than diffuse conflict than any other technique or strategy I can teach you. They are a non-judgmental way to allow space for the other person to share their point of view without insinuating blame or wrongdoing. Could you share perhaps these three magic phrases and what they actually are?
1: Yes. I'll say them again and I them a little bit in that last story. It's mm-hmm. is that what you intended? Do you see it differently? Or is there something I'm missing here that would help me understand. And the reason those are so powerful is those allow an opening for continued conversation. It's partnership type language. And when people get tripped up, it's because it's us versus them. Bottom line my manager's against me. My manager doesn't want to give me a raise. The employee isn't performing. It's us versus them. And what those questions do is it says, You're my partner. That's what you'd say with somebody that you're in it for the long haul. And it allows you to just continue to, to dive deeper as to what's going on and really unwind it before people get frustrated and, and walk away from the conversation. I even used that on somebody that was in senior executive. He was a bully, a big bully, and everybody knew he was a bully, but he didn't know he was a bully. He thought he was just so direct and so <laughs> able to lead the conversation and make things happen. And I remember going on a walk with him around the block. <laughs> I was so scary for me. You know, he told his people he that they didn't need to do what HR said. I'm like, oh, geez, I'm gonna. Have said to talk it just like him. that. Yeah, just don't do <laughs> That's it. So wrong. I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta. <laughs> and we had this walk around the block, and those questions allowed us to actually have real conversation with each other. Like, help me understand, mm-hmm. sure. and you know, go to the end of the story. We're actually still great friends today, and he had no idea that he was perceived as a bully, which blew me away. But we were able to make small inroads, you know, a piece at a time, because when you trust that somebody's going to tell you the truth, you start to rely on them. You know, they're going to tell me the truth or they're going to tell me what's going on. I'll know if something's not going right much more than we trust somebody that's, you know, the yes men. And I don't know how to say that in a gender neutral way. They don't have a new statement to use for that. But I think most people know what that means. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you surround yourself with people who just say yes, you begin to not trust that. So that's why I say conflict builds trust.
0: I love that. I'll pull an example from my own past life, which I like to do sometimes to get some practical coaching here. But I think this is about um, eight years ago, I was managing a restaurant. I was working for a company. I had really high ambitions to move on up, you know, progress year over year. But there was a conflict in which I really wanted a promotion to move on to the general manager level. And I know it was something i my heart of hearts, I really wanted it. And something that I would dream about at night as a young restaurant manager in the big city. But I just remember just the pain when the person who's overseeing me just did not see any of that potential in me and felt like I wasn't a good fit. So I would ended up not getting recommended for the position. And mm-hmm. just after putting in pretty much everything, I wasn't able to get it at the time. That to me seems like one of those hard conflict, disagreement, conversations Mm -hmm. that would need to happen. So how would you recommend, whether it's my past self who is like really striving for that promotion or somebody Mm -hmm. who is trying to move up in a situation like that, how would you recommend that they approach the conversation?
1: First step is to create safety and safety is what are the things we have in common? And so in this case, I don't know the whole story, but I would say, I know you have the best interest of the restaurant at heart. Like I do. We really want it to be successful. So that's where you start. What do we have in common? Mm -hmm. And I would begin to do the gap and explain the gap. I really thought I was going to get that promotion. I had done X, Y, and Z, these things that I thought were really going to instill confidence. Ultimately, now I'm going to the next step, what happened? Ultimately, I wasn't selected and there must have been a gap for you in terms of your confidence level. I was wondering if I could ask for your honest feedback on why you made the decision that you did so that it would help me understand that better. I feel like there's something missing. I would help me understand this. And all of a sudden, you know, you're assuming good intent in the other person, you're going to have a lot higher likelihood of getting the real honest feedback. But the minute, you know, most people would be like, I'm out of here. You know, they wouldn't even say anything. They'd say, I busted my hump for this company.
0: Right. That's what most people want to say. Right. Yeah.
1: And some people will say that they'll go, you know, too far the other direction, say, I busted my hump. I can't believe it. You know, you don't appreciate me. Well, you're not assuming good intent in any of those statements at all. And you just shut down that person's desire to even engage with you and right. learn anything.
0: Right. That was such a disarming way. And I would recommend anyone who wants to know how to have that conversation, like rewind this podcast, listen to the way that Tessa said that, because that was incredibly disarming. And I felt like if somebody, one of my employees approached me in such a way that had that type of demeanor, then I would feel much more likely to give them everything, pretty much my full attention and help them to be, help the conversation move forward. So I really like that. And my young self had a lot to learn. So I wish that, you know, I hope anyone listening to this episode right now is able to take that away.
1: I appreciate that you said that. I think, you know, just as a, if nobody remembers anything about this podcast except Mm -hmm. one thing, it is have the conversation the way you would want someone to have it with you, even if you don't remember my techniques. And that will get you part of the way there. Craft the conversation you would want if you were on the other end.
0: I love that. It's so powerful. So, That's a perfect segue, I think, to the topic of increasing your promotability for a person who may be in the mid level. We do have people listening to this podcast, I'm sure, who are more entry level. So perhaps we can circle back if we have time and talk about how to increase promotability there. But what I do really like in your book is how you break it down pretty much career stage by career stage and talk about the different types of things that you might have to deal with within that stage. So I'll ask, what Typically, our mid level folks dealing with whether it's like managers, I know we talk about the collaborators concept, but what are Mm -hmm. they dealing with, and what are some typical mistakes that we make within the mid uh, section of our careers?
1: That's a good place to focus because middle part of your career is where people's careers stall out. They get stuck and they just, or they're able to move up. And it's also the hardest, particularly middle management. Middle managers, that's the hardest job in any company.
0: Sure. 100% sure. the hardest. Yeah.
1: And I call it a mid-manager sandwich. And it's because they're getting pressure from the top to get certain things accomplished and done. And they're getting pressure from their people who are saying, that's a stupid idea. And they still, as a middle manager, don't want to be seen as one of them, the bad guys up top. So they want to be, you know, still accept in this other peer group. And so they just are smushed in the middle of that whole thing. And it's really, really difficult. So I would just say that some advice for those that are in middle management is you're going to have to learn the art. Again, this has to do with conflict, right? You're going to have to learn the art of being able to get on board and ask questions if you disagree with upper management so that you can convey what needs to be done you've been begging forever to be that your manager won't let you be more strategic. And you're finally in a position where you can be strategic. So part of Mm -hmm. being strategic is making sure your people know it's not like you're one of them. It's not us versus them. You're trying to help them get the job done and, and, and help them understand why you're getting certain things done. And you have to be on the same page as your senior leaders, or at least have the argument with them in a private room and come sure. back and be on the same page. And that's really hard for mid managers. Yeah. That's really hard for them to do. It's a hard bridge to be more strategic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And sorry to cut you off. I just say I had a mid manager once who would end up taking feedback from their upper level manager. It's this person was like more of an executive. And I just remember they were in constant disagreement and that person would complain about their boss to me. And it kind of derail. It kind of like broke some of my trust. I would say like within the whole organization, because there was that disconnect in their own private room and they brought it over to me. So
1: that is exactly right. Because that manager was trying to be buddy, buddy with you. And like, you wouldn't believe right. these idiots. Right. Yep. And it breaks trust. It breaks trust because your people are saying, what are they saying about me behind closed doors? I mean, that's really the question that we ask anytime a manager or even a coworker is saying bad things about somebody else. We're like, what do they say about me? It breaks trust. And so that's really a hard lesson for middle managers to learn. You, you can't do that.
0: Yeah, it really did. And you're like, I have good things to say about that organization overall, but it, uh, the uh, the organizational flow communication could have definitely been improved. So let's hear another mistake that mid-level managers are making in their careers to move things forward. What Other things can we do better as mid-level managers?
1: Well, when you're in a stage two, it's all about independence. Your manager gives you something to do and your job is to figure out how to get it over the finish line, right? You're independently working kind of within your little realm, but ironically, you just mastered that, this independence, and you get thrown into middle management, which is a stage three, and interdependence is the name of the game because your projects are more complex. You're crossing over into other departments and you're finally... Into that particular area of expertise, enough that you can't be the end all be all. So, you have to rely on other people. You have to rely on outside sources. You have to be able to make a phone call and find the experts. You have to surround yourself with really smart people. And so, often what people do is they try to behave the same way they did in a stage two and say, I got this. I got this. I'm independent. I got this. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So, you have to focus on other people and making sure you're working through. The whole ecosystem of the company well because one thing we know about promotability is that your ability to get promoted is directly correlated to how well you work with other departments Mm -hmm. so this is stage three Mm -hmm. and uh, that's where you get the champions that will give you the voice to get promoted so that's something that's really hard for people
0: I would say I'm not even like aiming to get promoted in my own life. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm looking to improve my company and its reputation and move things forward. But like that's a mistake I've made in my own past. Even I'd say my recent past employees would probably say. But relying too much on the I'll take care of it myself and not understanding and communicating with other different parts of the departments to help get things done. So I think that's a really good thing that you brought up. It makes a lot of sense to me.
1: I understand it because... In a stage two, you're like, I've got this, I've got this. And that's what you were rewarded for. If you got this and you were able to do things without giving your manager a lot of headache, you are superstar. And it's so ironic that then you move into this next stage and nobody tells you, "Uh uh-oh, you know, you can't do it the same way. You will get penalized rather than rewarded. It's just so ironic to me. And yet, you know, nobody ever voiced that to me until I could see the patterns of people and started to realize that was what was happening.
0: In the second one to talk about in that very section, there's a subtopic that says limit your nose. And so for me, that popped out. I had some clarifying questions there, but just I don't want to leave the entry level person hanging here. Or are there any differences between mid-level entry level in terms of the mistakes that people are making in order to get promoted And I know mid levels are collaborators. What are what are I guess entry levels called in in
1: entry level? You are doers. You do what your manager tells you to do. And if you do it faster or better, you win. And so you ask a lot of questions so that you don't mess it up. But in a stage two, you can't continue to ask questions over and over. You have to start to figure out the in-between between between what the manager wants done. And you figure out the in-between to get it over the finish line. So for an entry level person, I would say, if you're going from entry level to a stage two and preparing your language changes instead of "Hey, manager, I just want to let you know, I checked this off the list or I did this thing. It's, it's more accountable language. It's something like, Hey, I ran into a problem. This is the way I think I'm going to handle it. I just wanted to check in with you and make sure that you didn't have any feedback or anything you wanted to add. Right. I've got this, but just checking in. So your language with your manager evolves and in fact the book has you know five or six phrases that are very typical that you would change so that you can see what that actually looks like
0: i love that thank you so much for bringing that up now to talk about the section in your book limit your nose there is a paragraph that says there's a weight that no carries with it and a price you pay if you use it too often Mm -hmm. I read an interesting statistic on marriage from John Gottman, Ph.D., psychologist and professor emeritus at the University of Washington, whose research on divorce prediction and marriage stability spans four decades. He said that if the ratio of positive to negative interactions falls below five to one, divorce is likely. That tells me that negative interactions are a potent poison, which is as true with work relationships as it is with personal relationships. Oh my gosh, that freaks me out because, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I would say like as a recovering yes, man, yes, person, mm-hmm. I'm actually learning to like the word no, because it protects me in a way. So can you just clarify what you mean about limiting your nose in this, in this part?
1: Well, when you start to work with other departments, it's so easy to say, no, you can't do that. No, we don't agree. We don't want it done that way. It's, and it's actually how HR gets the label that they're the business prevention department or legal gets that label. It's how sales gets the label. They're rogue and they're going to do whatever they want. It's how marketing gets a bad label <laughs> when they right. aren't willing to change the creative direction because they're not listening to, you know, what the people are saying okay. internally on the rest of the team. Okay. So knows really do immediately shut down collaboration and they are counter to partnering, which is the whole idea, right? Partners figure out solutions. So I tell people really limit your no's to when they have to be said. And you'd be very surprised at how many things could be instead of a no, I call it a yes. And what if, for example, performance appraisals, right? Everybody hates them. In my youthful lack of wisdom, I remember the CFO came to me and he said, we cannot do performance appraisals at the end of the year. There's too many priorities going on that are more important. And I said, are you kidding me? the most important thing that could ever be. We have to do them because how can we give raises if we don't have them? Sure. And in fact, if I had applied what I had learned since then, it would be something like, yes, this is where you create common ground. Yes. I agree. There's a lot of priorities going on. There's just so many things swishing around this end of quarter that are important. And I still think we need to have a tool or a way that we communicate. What if And I could throw out, what if we just have quarterly check-ins? Three questions. What if we put it off for six months? What if? There's always a what if. And I had a CEO that just made us, made us do this. He said, if it's going to be a no and a yes, and people are at odds in a meeting and they Mm -hmm. don't agree, he says, I don't want a winner and a loser. Go back to the table until you can come up with the genius of the and, which is in Jim Collins' Good to Great book. He says, the tyranny of the or, which is a this or that, or the genius of the and, And that's where not saying no, but finding out where the common ground is, I think is worth the extra effort it
0: takes. I love that. That makes so much sense. It keeps things open, like circling back to the Mm -hmm. beginning of the podcast, talking about conflict. You don't want to shut people down. You don't want to tell people Mm -hmm. this is how it is and not leave any room for any sort of meaningful conversation. So my inner yes to opportunities does like this too, because I do love opportunity. And I do love collaboration and that positive feeling when you're working with somebody and it's going over smooth.
1: Well, for somebody like you, who says yes, probably too often mm-hmm. for you, it has to be a yes. And, and have a condition on it maybe because people who say yes all the time also, are that's also an equally bad problem. Because if you say yes too much, those are the people that end up doing two or three people's jobs at once and then end up burned out and not knowing what to do. Yeah. But they've said yes. So you have to have boundaries you know, and I find that all the principles I teach is you can't get too extreme. It's not too far one way or too far the other, but finding that middle ground in this world in cancel culture is pretty tough. Mm-hmm. We tend to think in extremes and I'm always trying to get people to go back to middle ground.
0: I love that. Tessa, you've been a fabulous guest. I can't thank you enough, really, not just for the coming on the podcast, but sharing everything you do on TikTok and Instagram and this book that you've released. And So I'd ask you, is there one last key message you want to leave career warriors that you really want to make sure you drive home and make sure that they take it away?
1: Yeah. I would say that if anything, I'm living proof that it's never too late to change what you're doing and pivot. And a lot of people don't pivot and get out of a really difficult situation because they're afraid of what's ahead. Mm. And I have just seen so many success stories, a woman who was working as a maid and now is making a hundred thousand a year as a software engineer five years later. So I have, you know, dozens of those. So don't be afraid to take the leap of faith. It's scary to dig into this. It's scary to fix stuff that's broken, but if you do, you may find that you're able to move from just having a job, which sounds kind of boring to a career. Right. A career is something you're really working towards. And a few of you will be lucky enough to do your calling like me and do what you really think you were born to do. So go for it with reckless abandon.
0: I love that quote and i'm going to use it hopefully we snip it and throw it all over our social media account but i think that's awesome and i want to before i let you go i have to ask if you had to pick one key takeaway from the book which i'll make sure to link within the description for your listeners you got to check it out this is amazing stuff here but it's called the unspoken truths of career success so one key takeaway test so that you really want every reader who picks up your book to have what is that key takeaway
1: Well, the key takeaway I would say for the whole book is you have more control than you think. That's really important. You can balance out the scales between you and your employer and all it's going to take is having a voice. It really is. And there's a lot of data in the book to support that. But as we talked about conflict, conflict, those three magic questions alone, if you just did that one thing in your career, it would change the trajectory of your career.
0: I love that. Tessa, thank you so much for joining us in the podcast. I hope you go out and have a great rest of your week.
1: Oh, thank you so much. You're a great interviewer and it was really fun to do this one. So thank you so much.
0: Awesome. So this concludes episode 288 of the Career Warrior Podcast. This was a deep dive into conflict and the importance of learning how to deal with it. No, this is something that we shouldn't avoid at all costs. This is something that we should learn to love and to get comfortable with and to ask those open-ended questions to deal with our managers and deal with our organization in a way that is respectful and in a way that moves our situations forward. I also really love talking about the concept of promotability and how to not make those key mistakes, such as getting in your own silo. I think this is a really important concept to be able to do this when we're moving forward in our careers. So go back, listen to this episode again twice if you need to, and make sure to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Chris Vianueva, CPRW. Let me know what you enjoyed about this episode. And also make sure to follow Tessa on Instagram and TikTok as well. We're linking all of the handles and URLs within the description of this podcast. Again, we are weekly. We just joined the LinkedIn Podcast Academy and I cannot wait to see what is in store for that. The Career Warrior Podcast. And before you go, remember, if you're not seeing the results you want in your job search, our highly trained team of professional resume writers here at Let's See Grandma can help. Head on over to letseatgrandma.com forward slash podcast to get a free resume critique and $70 off any one of our resume writing packages. We talk all the time on the show about the importance of being targeted in your job search. And with our unique writing process and focus on individual attention, you'll get a resume, cover letter, and LinkedIn profile that are highly customized and tailored to your goals to help you get hired faster. Again, head on over to letseatgrandma.com forward slash podcast. Thanks, and I'll see you next time.